So good afternoon, everybody, um, and welcome to class number three of our Faithful Lives series. In all of human history, there has always been a recognition of a being far superior than men. Perhaps for the Neanderthals or the Cro-Magnons, our early ancestors, or our prehistoric ancestors, the supreme being is the loud thunderbolt they hear or the erupting volcano. So we see the forces of nature were adored as concrete manifestations of the, of the sacred, giving rise to a plurality of gods ordered in a hierarchical manner. So in early religions, we see um, cultures have a lot of gods. They practice um, polytheism or uh, many gods. So in Filipino culture, if you will remember, we heard of Batalang May Kapal or Buwan, the story of Buwan or Tala, um, who is the goddess of the stars. She is supposed to be the third daughter of Batala from a mortal woman. We also hear of Maria Makiling, who is very familiar to us, and Maria Sinukuan, and Maria Kakao, which uh, may not be as familiar to us as Maria Makiling. So they were supposed to be the fairies of the forest, or the Diwatas, who protect the forest. So Maria Makiling is, um, protects um, Mount Makiling in Laguna. He is supposed, she is supposed to be a romantic and she finds it hard to say no to people. While Maria Sinukuan is supposed to protect Mount Arayat and we read or have heard of stories of her um, protecting protecting the, the mountain by pursuing hunters who steal from her forest. And we not um, we we hear of Maria Cacao, not as often, who protects Mount Lantoy in Cebu. Uh, I suppose Maria Cacao is more familiar in the Visayas. Um, she's known for her relationship with her husband and um, her relationship with the cacao plant. And thus her name, Maria Cacao. And then um, in Greek culture, we hear of Zeus. He is the king of the gods of Mount Olympus. And he is represented by a thunderbolt. Um, he is the father of Hercules, 
if you remember the Disney movie Hercules. So it is Zeus who is there in the in the temple. And then in all the stories of Greek mythology, we see the gods having power, but gods who are subject to the weakness and frailties of men. A Hindu god, goddess Durga. Um, she is usually seen with nine to 18 arms and each hand holds a symbolic object or weapon. She is a god known um, for, for war and strength. So these are um, the gods of the pagan religion. The Greeks are known to be thinkers and philosophers. We hear of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. So why are they known to be philosophers or thinkers? They are known to be thinkers because ancient Athens is not an area of good farmland. So in instead, the Athenians strove to develop a cultured city-state with a strong school system. So this attracted philosophers from around the Greek world. And there at Athens, they attempted for reason to purify religion that the divine should be identified with the good, the beautiful, and with being itself. Um, you know, this triad, or this triad of words, these three words, the true, the good, and the beautiful is something familiar to us. For those who are young enough, I think uh, you will associate this triad of words, true, good, and beautiful with Imelda Marcos, they have been used uh, for a very long time already by several um, philosophers or thinkers. They say that God or that supreme being is the, or that what, whoever is divine must be good, beautiful, and with being itself. But this reasoning brought with it other problems. It led to the idea of a God who was so perfect that he ended up far removed from the life of mortals. The supreme divinity remained isolated in a perfect independence and even the possibility of establishing relations with human beings was a sign of weakness. So a supreme being couldn't be weak since it would imply some lack or deficiency on God's part. Also, there did not seem to be any way of accounting for the presence of evil, which uh, they were very aware of in themselves and in the society around them. How will they account for the presence of evil? Except to say that it somehow flowed necessarily 
from the divine through the mediation of a series of created beings. With the Judeo-Christian religion, um, this framework changes radically. God is presented in scripture as the creator of all that exists and of all the forces of nature. God's existence precedes absolutely the existence of God. That the God we know through faith and reason is spiritual, transcendent, omnipotent, eternal, personal, and perfect. So these are some of the characteristics of our God who revealed himself to us. God is spiritual and transcendent. So what does transcendent mean? Transcendent means it is to exist apart from and not subject to the limitations of the material universe. We transcend the universe. We transcend matter. Rather, God transcends matter. God does not come from matter. So God exists through himself. The distance between God and the world is infinite. God exists through himself and had no necessity to create. Rather, the created world exists through a free act of God and all that is created did not have to be. From the point of view of created things, however, they necessarily depend on God for their being and existence. Since God does not need to create and the world does not flow from him with necessity, means that all that exists is desired by God and results from a free, a free decision of his will. Everything created is good and is the fruit of God's love. So only God can create. Technically, man, when he says he creates, uh, transforms because he uses things around him in order to create. He uses um, wood from trees in order to create a table, but only God creates from nothing. So God is the first creator or the only creator. God merely transforms God's creations into something else. Uh, we also say that God is omnipotent. Omnipotent means God has unlimited and infinite power. God's power is so great that he wants to maintain his relationship with his creatures, including saving them if because of their freedom, they distance themselves from their creator. Therefore, in the context of Christian revelation, one sees that the origin of evil is not to be found in matter, but rather in the mistaken use of freedom on the part of angels and mankind. 
we have the fall of Lucifer from being an angel to being a devil. He is the devil of all devils. He is the first devil. And the fall of mankind, we see from the fall of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, narrated in the book of Genesis. So that is where evil comes from. It is from the mistaken use of freedom which God gave. And in class number two, we said that God uh, gave us freedom because he does not like a love that is forced upon men. There's, they have no choice but to love God. God is uh, God and he will not settle for a love like that. He wants a love that is fully and truly freely given. So God is also personal. It means that uh, God is someone who is rational and conscious of his own being. Um, God is a person. God is one but three persons. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is not in, in the mind of men. He is not just a form of energy. He is a rational being. God himself revealed himself to us with, with his name, which he gave to Moses. He told Moses there um, in the mountain, in the burning bush, he said, I am who am. As proof of his fidelity to his covenant and as a sign that he will accompany his people in the desert, a symbol of life's temptations. This name, which is mysterious for us, I am who am, reveals something about himself. In revealing his name, God makes known the riches contained in the ineffable mystery of his being. He alone is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the one who transcends the world and history. It is he who made heaven and earth. He is the faithful God, always close to his people in order to save them. He is the highest holiness, rich and mercy, always ready to forgive. God is perfect. So all created beings reflect some aspect of God's infinite perfection. We see here the beauty of a rose, which God, only God can create. The beauty of a butterfly, the rice terraces. All of these creations or created beings reflect only an aspect of God's infinite perfection. So if we find a rose beautiful, then God is infinitely more beautiful than a rose. The creator God is infinitely more beautiful than the creature. So if we can imagine what infinite is, but in our limited intellectual capacity, we really can, cannot imagine what infinite is. But that is what God is. He is 
He possesses all the perfections to an infinite degree. So God is fullness of being. When we say fullness, the fullness of beauty, fullness of kindness, fullness, all the virtues. He possesses them to the fullness. We know him only analogically by trying to compare him to his creations. But to know him fully, I don't think we can do that because of our limited intellectual capacity and because we are mere creatures. We are, we are mere creations of God. So it's like an ant trying to understand a man. And if you see the, well, the big disparity between an ant and a man, well, the disparity between God and man is infinitely bigger. So what should our response be? Knowing that all of these, knowing that our God is spiritual, transcendent, omnipotent, eternal, personal, and perfect, our response can only be that of adoration and gratitude. We should fall on, man should fall on his knees before the wonder of a God who, while totally transcendent, becomes more intimate to man than man's innermost being. God is a God who seeks us out in every circumstance. God is a God who loves man personally, not just man personally, but, ma, but God who loves me. So he is a God who seeks us out in every circumstance and who loves each of us personally by name. He is a God who loves us passionately and wants to be loved in, in return. So lastly, there can only be a response of deep humility when attempting to speak about God based on the knowledge about him that we acquire from his creation. We can only have that deep sense of humility with the little that we know of God, knowing that the little we know is really nothing. Mm -hmm.